Hi, my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. Good afternoon. I'm Pastor David, lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Australia, where we're streaming live. This week, we're following the theme... Isn't all religion essentially the same? A crucial topic. Today we're asking the question, is the ecumenical spirit the same as biblical unity? Is the ecumenical spirit the same as biblical unity? Uh, Today I'm hosting the program. Uh, Usually that would be Pastor Gary, who does such a proficient job. But uh, this afternoon, he's actually going to lead us in the study of the Bible. Uh, welcome, Pastor Gary. How are you? Yeah, I'd love to be able to come and uh, come and join uh, with you, David. Uh, fantastic day outside. Uh, what a, what a wonderful place to live uh, here in Australia and down here in Adelaide at this time of the year. Love it. Look, uh, we are blessed, aren't we? And uh, we want to think of those parts of Australia. I think up near Tennant Creek. There are fires uh, occurring. There are predictions of uh, a very uh, wet summer in some areas, like, or not, sorry, some, uh, I think, uh, monsoonal type weather happening, but also then a dry summer with fires in in some Mm -hmm. parts. Mm -hmm. So uh, we've got to enjoy the good weather while we have it. So welcome wherever you're listening from right across Australia. We're so glad that you're here and joining us at this very important topic that we will look at this afternoon. Gary, um, you're a reader and uh, you're a man of great intellect. And uh, the other week you shared with some of our ministry team a particular book you were reading, which um, caught... Uh, caught the attention from many of us. So I'm wondering if you would just share a little bit, and I think you might have something in store for our listeners down the track. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, David, uh, I, 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 firstly, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm a person with much intellect, but one of the things I do enjoy doing is doing some reading, uh, particularly for some of our uh, upcoming programs for uh, for our Faith FM Drive Time listeners. Uh, just recently, I had the, the privilege to actually stumble across a book that uh, has really been a blessing to me. Love uh, this uh, this particular book. It's not a long book. It's a fairly short book, but it's actually entitled How Christianity Transformed the World, and it's by an author, Sharon James, uh, and she's done an absolutely marvellous uh, job. Uh, actually, uh, picked up this uh, this book from uh, uh, the Creation Ministries uh, people, and uh, I would recommend it to anybody uh, that uh, that really is interested in digging into this this particular subject. Uh, she actually starts by talking in the very uh, beginning, the first chapter. The purpose of the book is to pull together and summarise some of the key findings of the long works that have recently appeared. Now, that's one of the things that to me really stood out to me. Uh, this uh, this book's actually got uh, significant uh, referencing uh, to academic uh, uh, material that has come out just in the very last uh, few uh, few years uh, where, uh, uh, where they're dealing with uh, questions uh, concerning uh, Christianity. Uh, she shares that the book's not comprehensive. It's only simply 
simply an introduction. Uh, but what she's attempting to do is to provide something of a, I suppose, a primer uh, to talk about uh, some of the really big issues that uh, so many people uh, would claim uh, Christianity has had a negative influence on. Now, uh, the chapters, just consider these chapters. There's, uh, uh, the first chapter talks about freedom and slavery. Uh, so many people talk about you know Christianity uh, having a negative influence on slavery. Uh, once you actually move into the documentation, it's actually not true. And uh, she actually shows uh, from, uh, from ac- academic documentation uh, how Christianity uh, through, for example, Sir William Wilberforce, uh, through uh, John Newton, uh, did away with slavery. You see, it appears that when a Christianity comes into the lives of an individual, that things start to change. There's chapters on religious liberty, justice, protecting life, the dignity of win- women, and that's a really big one, philanthropy, health care, education for all. A lot of people don't realise that uh, education, particularly for women, only arose uh, because of the Christian influence. That's true, and, and I think what I really value in what you shared with us uh, the other week as a team of ministers was the fact that essentially the references they're using are uh, uh, academic, a lot of it's academic literature. So you're not having to prove from the Bible itself. Exactly, exactly. In fact, at the end of each chapter, what uh, uh, what uh, Sharon James actually does is uh, presents the uh, uh, the resource material so that if you want to dig deeper, you can actually uh, dig deeper. But to me, I've actually already shared this with uh, uh, one of uh, one of my own own young people uh, who attend my uh, my church, who uh, goes to uh, uh, to a secular university uh, studying history. And I uh, said to her when I was studying the Bible with her, I said, "Look, this is the book you need." to get hold of because at uh, university level she's actually being continually told how uh, what a negative impact Christianity has had uh, on uh, the uh, uh, the entire world uh, world scene uh, whereas this book turns around and says no 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 let's get the facts on on this situation and, and this what, is powerful and what your church member is is really being fed is what uh, most of us get through fed through modern media Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, uh, it's a pretend history. Uh, it's a history that didn't really exist. It's simply being made up uh, as we run. But once you actually go into the original documentation, uh, what you find is that, you know, and, and slavery is probably the classic example because mm. uh, what you have here is that you look back and you, uh, is, you know, you hear that, you know, churches in the South of America, they supported slavery. Did they? Yes, they most certainly did. But we forget that churches in the north of the country actually opposed slavery and used very good arguments uh, against slavery in the North. If you go into England, without any fighting, Sir William Wilberforce was able to do away with uh, uh, with the whole issue of, uh, of slavery because of the influence of John Newton, who, of course, uh, was the one who uh, wrote that majestic hymn, Amazing Grace, and he was a slave ship captain. Mm. And uh, to me, when you look at the historical reality, uh, you turn around and say, hey, uh, our 
our God is incredibly good, and I'm just so so thankful that uh, that this book's actually been compiled. I, I would actually recommend it. How Christianity transformed the world. It's by Sharon James, and uh, uh, I certainly picked it up on the Creation Ministries uh, uh, website. So, so Gary, um, for those that may not be able to purchase the book, you're planning at some point in the future, whether it's later this year or next year, probably later this year that you would like to run a series on Faith FM Drive Time. Indeed, indeed. That's, uh, that's certainly our plan, and we will take one of these things each each day and just look at Christianity's contribution to doing away with slavery, to the uh, to the uh, uh, to the education of women, to the whole uh, uprising of you know, hospitals uh, coming mainstream, uh, and we will look at Christianity's uh, contribution to those major areas uh, of our society. So that's a future plug, everyone. Stay listening to Faith uh, FM. This is the place to get some uh, and get good oil. Good oil. So keep listening to all of the Faith FM programs right across the network, but we'd love you to keep listening to Drive Time. Now, we do have a free giveaway book today, and I just want you to plug into your phones the number 04888 808 and uh, type in the code word SA135, SA135, and we'll share later on what the book is, but you will not want to miss it. Uh, Gary, let's come to our, our World Watch segment, and, and this one is literally hot off the press. In fact, it's dated September 12. It comes from Christian Headlines, and um, essentially it's talking about some studies and a book that George Barner, an American researcher, has, just has released. done, just released. And I think uh, about a week ago the book was released. Indeed. So uh, it's called Just 2% of Parents, the article is called, Just 2% of Parents with Children Under 13 Report Having a Biblical Worldview. Mm. Before we get into that, Gary, in, in one minute, what's... A biblical worldview. Oh, yeah. Look, look. A biblical worldview is uh, seeing the world through the eyes of Scripture. Uh, as uh, as believers, we actually look at the world differently to a secular worldview. Uh, we believe, for example, that the supernatural does exist. Uh, we believe that you know something like like miracles really can occur. That we believe that there is a God who answers prayer. Predictive uh, prophecy. Predictive all prophecy. Of these so uh, this is. A, a biblical worldview is totally different to a secular worldview if, in fact, you're going to be an authentic biblical Christian. I would suggest you can only do it if you have a realistic biblical worldview. So so this is a really concerning um, uh, book that's just been released in by nature of what it shares, just 2% of parents with children under 13 report having a biblical worldview. Let's get into the article. A new book from Christian researcher George Barner shows that uncommitted Christians are causing a catastrophic decline in biblical worldview in America because they do not know how to pass on biblical values to their children. His book is called Raising Spiritual Champions, Nurturing Your Child's Heart, Mind and Soul. And it was released on September 5. Um, it analyzes research from seven original studies from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University and the Family Research Council. The book explores the idea that Christian parents often feel ill-equipped and begin outsourcing their responsibilities. 
During the research, parents often share doubts about their own parenting ability, even expressing that although they are doing the best they can, they don't feel that they are very good parents. Barna, the Director of Research at the Cultural Research Centre at Arizona Christian University, explains in a summary of the research. Mm. But because they love their children and want them to have the best experiences and outcomes, parents look to find people who they believe can do the job in various dimensions of their children's lives. Barna says that parents have stepped back and allowed worldview development to come from others. Our worldview is a decision-making filter that informs every decision we make, intellectual, moral, emotional and spiritual, he said. To have a biblical worldview is to think like Jesus so that you can act like Jesus. And listen to these statistics, Gary. Mm. The book found that 2% of parents with children under the age of 13, 2% of parents, said that they had a biblical worldview. 94% said they had a hodgepodge mixture of worldviews. 8% of parents of preteens said they had a biblical worldview. 1% of preteens in America have a biblical worldview. Most parents, even born-again parents, do not really, and I'm just turning the page, do not really think the spiritual component of their child's upbringing is a big deal, at least not as big a deal as doing well in school, sports or relationships. And even if they're focused on building their child's biblical worldview, very few parents today, only 2%, possess a biblical worldview, Barna said. They can't give what they don't have, and this creates a gaping spiritual vacuum as today's parents are raising their children. This is concerning, isn't it, Gary? Oh, look, David. When I read that part, that particular article, I, uh, I suppose I, I could almost cry, because uh, uh, what hope do uh, does the church have? So, so often you actually hear the church is being blamed uh, for not uh, being able to impart faith. I just wonder, is that a realistic expectation if in fact parents themselves do not have a biblical worldview and are are therefore ill-equipped to pass on a biblical worldview to their children? Uh, You know, to me, uh, I consider when I actually grew up, how was a biblical worldview passed on to me? Well, actually, it was initially passed on by uh, my 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 mother in in particular, uh, my church, uh, sharing with me just simply some of the stories in the Bible. Mm. Uh, You know, just the simple stories like uh, Daniel in the lion's den. I mean, what does that actually teach teach me? It actually teaches me that there is a supernatural God who cares. It uh, tells me that prayer is important and there is a God who answers prayer. And that obedience to God. And that obedience to God is vitally important. That's just one story where a biblical worldview is able to be imparted through the simplest of stories. Gary, you touched on something really critical. You said your mum, mm. fathers, it might be their father or their mother and father or a grandparent, but your mum, you spoke about um, uh, children's story, like uh, you spoke about in church services, hearing, hearing stories, Bible stories. 
there's some critical things. I mean, a lot of churches have like a, a Sunday school for kids. Yeah. That um, is beneficial. Yeah. But sometimes young children sitting in a church service where they hear a sermon from a, a minister can also have significant impact. Oh, look, look, David, I'm surprised how much uh, a young child can actually take in. I've actually talked to some parents and I've actually said to them, hey, I said, look, please stop sitting up the back row. Uh, because you know, okay, but my children get uh, get uh, uh, get uh, very uh, uh, agitated, and I and, and I've suggested to them. I said, well, actually, uh, what you find is when they can't see and they uh, have have no connection with what's going on down the front. Yes, uh, they do actually they switch they, off. They they start to switch off. But I, I said, you know, to me, I, I I reflected on one church that I I certainly did pastor where a number of the parents actually took it upon themselves to come and sit in the front rows with their children, and the expectation for their children, their children were actually uh, being taught that during the time of the worship service. Now, there were times when they had to get up and go out, yes. Mm. But, you know, they. I, I was amazed the number of times the, the children would sit and listen to certainly sermons that I was sharing. And uh, uh, to me, uh, I, 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 I'm just so conscious. To me, uh, you know, if in fact uh, we say, hey, look, you know, within a worship service, we're going to sit at the back until they are old enough to be able to be introduced to the worship service, at what age would you say that? If a child is never taught to be able to, or never expected mm. to be able to uh, um, dig into the deep things of God... Does that time ever come? And when when do you give them the keys to step up and, and take part in church services? Yeah. So for me, yeah. Gary, yeah, it was listening to church services. It was family worship. And it was think, oh, I think family worship is actually a really big one, uh, David. You know, just being able to come together, that's when you can tell stories. You know, when we had family sto- family worship, uh, we didn't just uh, talk about biblical stories, but we just simply asked questions like, how's your day been? Mm. And uh, as a family, just to be able to share, uh, you know, it was a time when media was off, when you could share as a family, uh, when you could understand, you, you could look at some of the biblical principles and uh, uh, you look at the uh, you know the priorities in in mum and dad's lives and so much of uh, those priorities are actually caught by children they're not taught I was just going to gonna say and, and when you hear older generations talk about their spiritual walk and what God has done for them. And I know my father and my grandfather in particular, it's powerful. Gary, we need to keep moving, but something that really struck out uh, to me, uh, it talks about parents feel often feel ill-equipped. And I know as a parent, um, I've felt like that. But what is really critical that, uh, Barner has brought out here is the outsourcing of responsibilities because you feel ill-equipped. Yeah, yeah. You I, take your children to Kumon or you take them to music or and all of these specialists. And so if a parent feels ill-equipped spiritually, well, yeah. it'll be the church school or the Christian school or it'll be at, 
you know, Sunday school or a church service. Yeah. Um, David, the, the reality that certainly that, and I'm a grandfather now, but uh, look, you cannot outsource the upbringing of your children. It is not if, in fact, at the end of the day, uh, you want the Lord to bless your children, I don't believe you can outsource uh, that sort of responsibility. And this is more critical in every other element of the child's development. Indeed, indeed. And, and being able to sit and just share with them is, I, I mean, to me, I, I, I'm so conscious of the incredible blessing that I receive just being able to spend time talking to my children. Love that. Still miss this to that day, to this day, actually. And sometimes I think we probably wish we spent more time doing yeah, that, indeed. if we're honest. Indeed. Uh, Gary, we need to come to some music. Just before we do, I want to invite our listeners to text through to our number, um, what uh, what was it that has been your that has held your biblical worldview? Who was it that was instrumental in your own spiritual upbringing? Uh, text us through your answer: zero four triple eight eight oh eight eleven zero four triple eight eight oh eight eleven. Who is it that's been influential? in your spiritual upbringing and giving you a great biblical worldview. We're going to go to some music. It's Christian Badal, Find Us Faithful. We're pilgrims on the journey of the narrow road And those who've gone before us line the way Cheering on the faithful Encouraging the weary Their lives a stirring testament To God's sustaining grace Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses Let us run the race not only for the prize But as those who've gone before us Let us leave to those behind us The heritage of faithfulness Passed on through godly Uncover, become the light that leads. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Drive Time Big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary and David. Uh, we want you to uh, take your phones 04888 80811, 04888 80811 uh, for our free giveaway book and you need the code SA135. That's SA135. And the book that we have to offer you today, the free giveaway, is called End Time People by Dr. Brian Ball. And Gary, this is a, quite an interesting book. I've never read it, but um, it, it comes with some incredible reviews. I watched a YouTube clip mm, about this mm. book, and um, it asks some very pertinent questions. Um, yeah, look, I've really appreciated uh, uh, all of uh, Brian Ball's uh, material. He writes, uh, he is an academic himself, but he doesn't write as an academic, and that's the really important thing. He brings uh, scholarship, but he brings it down to the uh, level when people like me can actually, uh, can people actually understand it. Uh, you know, so often we talk about end-time events, um, and he did actually write a book on end-time events, but he followed up with this particular book, End-Time People, and and uh, he's he's actually digging into uh, a second uh, second Peter, which of course one of the great uh, uh, pastoral epistles. Uh, end time people. Uh, what uh, what does an end time person actually look like? Of course, if you look at Matthew chapter twenty four, you get this uh, picture of uh, the end times. But if you go into Matthew twenty five, uh, what you find is that uh, uh, that that chapter deals with end time people. You know, how do we prepare? 
prepare for this thing called the end times. You know, there's been so many books written about this sort of thing. Uh, but this book is a real little ripper. Uh, I'd recommend it to uh, to anybody. And um, uh, look, yeah, as you said, um, 04888811 is the uh, uh, is the number. And you need to text this SA135, what, five digits in a, uh, in a row. And that'll go through to our robot. I think we call him Faithful. 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 And uh, he'll come back to you and uh, uh, ask uh, a few questions so that we can get this book to you in the fastest uh, way uh, way possible. And it's really good to see people uh, already requesting uh, this uh, this particular book. So 04888-80811 and the code SA135. Gary, something else. Can you give us an update on our Meet the Presenters right here in Prospect South Australia oh, this look, coming yeah, Saturday this, this is really going to be... This is really... I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, I'm looking forward. We've got... Uh, uh, we're going to have about a hundred people there at the uh, at the present time, and this is uh, actually going to be occurring in the uh, uh, in the hall at uh, Seven Bolville Street, uh, South uh, South Australia. Uh, we've got Pastor Robbie Bergen's going to be with us, and he's going to be presenting just a twenty minute after dinner uh, talk, uh, talking about prophecy digital currencies and cashless societies and this is a real Sounds interesting. this is a real ripper of a little uh, presentation I'm going to be uh, certainly there myself I'll certainly be uh, uh, be keeping the uh, keeping the the program rolling uh, but it's really good to have uh, Robbie just for that uh, that 20 uh, 20 minutes and if you are in Adelaide look this is something I would recommend. I'd love to be able to to meet you. Uh, if you want to fly, that's perfectly fine as well. But look, all you need to do, you do need to book your uh, your, your ticket. However, uh, faithfm.com.au, uh, and uh, that'll take you backslash events. And uh, there is actually a. Um, an events page there and go onto there and uh, you can uh, you can register for this particular dinner this is going to be a real beauty that's this saturday night yeah thank you gary we'd love to see you all there if you're interstate catch a flight gary our topic this week is called isn't all religion essentially the same a common question all roads lead to rome so to speak but today we're asking the question is the, ecum- is the ecumenical spirit the same as biblical unity? Would you like to lead us in this study? Yeah, yeah. Look, David, I re- th- this is something that I am so passionate about because everywhere I go, uh, I'm just so conscious of the number of books that are out there that have been written that just assumes that the ecumenical movement and the ecumenical spirit is exactly the same as biblical unity. You know, the more I get into the Word of God, the more convinced I totally Totally, I am that they are poles apart. Um, you know, as I um, uh, as I dig into uh, into this, you know, I've got many many books at home actually dealing with the ecumenical uh, uh, movement. Uh, one of the books that really uh, jumped out at me when I first read it was actually put out by the uh, World Council of, uh, of Churches, and uh, it actually compiled uh, the agreement documentation uh, between churches. And uh, this is uh, this is how it was introduced. All the documents in this book agree that the present division amongst Christians is a scandal to the world. Uh, the, it wounds the God-given unity 
community of Christ Church. All Christians have a God-given responsibility to promote the restoration of full and visible unity amongst them. Full communion is the ultimate goal of the ecumenical work of all our churches. Now, this was something that uh, uh, this is put out in uh, uh, in a book, certainly that I've got in in my library, uh, printed by the World Council of Churches. Uh, a scandal to the world is the division, the current division amongst churches, a, a, a scandal to the world. And is the ecumenical spirit the same as biblical unity? Do you know, to me, uh, increasingly, I am just so conscious that um, this this conclusion has actually been brought uh, because of a lack of understanding of the uh, of the Word of God. It was it was actually some time ago, David, that I was um, actually preparing for a sermon series. Uh, the sermon series was entitled "The End Times and the Hard Words of Christ." It's got about six sermons in that uh, particular series. Um, but it was during preparation for that particular series that I became increasingly aware that virtually every Every article and website I encountered assumed that the ecumenical spirit was in fact the same as biblical unity. And yet, as I dug into the Word of God, that isn't the conclusion that uh, I, I, I came up with. You see, surprising to most people. That's though, really yeah. surprising to a, to a lot of uh, a lot of people. You know, as I actually moved really deep into the subject, uh, I realised that the websites weren't actually telling. The whole story, and I uh, l- l- let me just share with you. You know, uh, take take for example, um, um, uh, what's the uh, what's the, uh, Matthew chapter ten verse thirty four. Now, this is a uh, this is a powerful passage of scripture. Uh, this is what it says: Do not think that I've come to bring peace on the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his brother, a daughter against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Now, that's Matthew chapter 10. And, you know, I'm preparing this series, you know, the end times and the hard sayings of Christ. If ever there's a hard saying of Christ, that's that. That's got to be it. That's got to be it. But, you see, this is Christ is saying that his teachings would actually bring division, not bring unity. So what's actually going on here? You know, if if I go across to Luke chapter 12, it's actually you get exactly the same thing being expressed. Uh, Christ, Christ says, this is uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 51, Do you suppose that I've come to bring peace on the earth? I tell you not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter, uh, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Luke chapter 12, verse 51 and, and onwards from there. Uh, do you know, uh, just saying the same thing. It's a huge, uh, what this is saying, I believe is huge. You know, to me, they're, they're incredibly, they're probably, 
problematic passages these? You know, how are we to deal with these in the context of, you know, Jesus is coming again? What's he really saying here? Do you know, on, a, on another occasion, if you actually go into John's gospel, um, you actually find, uh, it's actually John chapter 7, verse 43. Um, uh, what you, uh, uh, what you find here is that, uh, a simple statement is made. And, uh, this is what it says. So there was division amongst the people because of him. Hmm. Now, to me, you know, John says, when Christ came, there was division because of him. So how is it possible? Is the ecumenical spirit, is the ecumenical spirit the same as biblical unity? I want to suggest to you it's not. I want to suggest that something else is going on here and we need to be aware of what's actually going on here. So uh, what is uh, actually actually going on? Well, uh, firstly, the thing that I'm, I'm conscious of is that it's so easy um, for us, you know, as I suppose religious leaders um, to create a, a feel-good type Christ. You know, um, you know, denominational leaders can very easily bring to the um, bring to the ecumenical table a biblically unknown Christ. You know, if you like a, a gentle Jesus, so meek and mild. Uh, that it doesn't um, stand for anything divisive that will upset anyone. Well, tough, hard questions mm. are totally overlooked and ignored. And you know, to me, that's a travesty when you're dealing with the Word of God. It's something that you cannot do. And excuse me for getting passionate about no, this, Gary, go because for it. this is a subject that uh, I believe uh, the religious world is being misled on in a horrendous way at this uh, at this time. Now, the really interesting thing is this: once at the ecumenical table, the discussion very quickly moves to the apparent safe haven. Now, this is the safe haven. It goes like this. Unity in diversity. Mm. We're going to have unity in diversity. Um, now, look, David, this is something that I, I believe real wisdom is required to dig into this. Does Scripture speak of unity in diversity? Well, actually, it does. It does. It does speak um, of unity uh, in in diversity, and you see it. Um, and you see it mostly uh, when Christ uh, talked about his church. There are many spiritual gifts. Exactly, they are of one accord spiritually, but the gifts they were bestowed on them by the Holy Spirit were diverse. Unity and diversity. Mm. And look, is unity and diversity a biblical doctrine? Most certainly it is. In that it's, context. You can, in that context, it, that is more than reasonable. But, you know, and this is the question that we must, uh, must answer, uh, is, uh, unity in diversity, uh, are limits placed on unity and diversity in scripture? Now that question to me is something that is so, it's so easy to, uh, to overlook. It's so easy to simply move on uh, from them. Uh, it's, it's something that, uh, you, uh, you, you look at and you say, hey, um, uh, in scripture, unity in diversity, while it was sec- accepted as far as how we do ministry, it was actually not accepted in theology. 
And that's critical, what you're just saying now. That that issue, I mean, uh, for example, um, uh, you actually get uh, um, get uh, Paul, um, um, well, Peter actually, in, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Um, he never accepted unity and diversity in this matter of theology. And Acts 4.12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given amongst heaven by which we must be saved. No other name. There is only one name by which we must be saved. That name is, of course, Jesus Christ. Uh, now, that was Paul's teaching. Where is unity and diversity in that statement? Yeah. Now, you know, I mean, what's that saying to the, uh, to the multitude of, um, of world religions that were around at that time? Well, it's actually saying, that I have something very beautiful that I want to present to you that you need to hear for the sake of salvation. Do you know the Christian church for millennia uh, believed in the great missionary movements? You see church after church, not just my own church, but uh, the Protestant church, the, you know, Christian churches around the globe uh, believe that it was their responsibility, it was their duty uh, to go and work for the salvation of those who uh, those who were uh, those who were lost so it wasn't just they've got their own religion they'll be right um it's this is what the bible says People we have need to, to we it. have to go we mm. have a message we have a purpose we have a reason to exist and that was the purpose of paul peter of the disciples uh, repetitiously uh, this was the one thing which they believed they believed uh, that there was a reason for their existence uh, do you know i as i look at that i i've got to ask the question why did they believe that because they actually believed exactly the same thing as Peter believed, there is no other name given amongst heaven by which we must be uh, must be saved. Uh, but you know, as I go through the uh, the Word of God, um, I find uh, even the Apostle Paul uh, placed limits on unity in diversity. Uh, you know, if I come to uh, his book in Galatians chapter one verse eight, uh, you know he is uh, strident uh, in in what he shares. Um, Paul shares on that particular occasion, if we or even an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have already preached, let him be accursed. Now, this is, this is, this is mind-blowing type material. How much clearer uh, could the apostle to the Gentiles possibly be? Unity in reference to the gospel, he said, could not be countenanced. There is no unity and diversity here. To Paul, unity and diversity as a universal maxim was something that was a, uh, was a, a, a total foreign concept. You know, Paul freely acknowledged that to the Jews, this was a stumbling block, that the gospel was a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, it was foolishness. Significantly, though, never did he suggest an alternative form of the gospel in order to overcome some cultural difficulties. If we turn to truth, what we find in the word of God is that Paul, in speaking to Timothy, actually said this, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, 
but according to their own desires because they have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth. They'll be turned aside uh, to uh, to fables. You know, I, I just cannot imagine um, the apostle to the Gentiles saying anything like, you know, your differing understandings of the truth are perfectly acceptable or just be united in diverse understanding. That's not where scripture's actually coming from. It's not biblical truth. And this really screams at the religious world today. This is something that I suggest is something that uh, we as biblical Christians need to understand and need to respond to. But David, look, let's come to some music and uh, uh, then we'll come back and finish off. Thanks, Gary. This is really challenging and powerful. Let's listen to Wendell Kimbra. I am making all things new.
Welcome back to Drive Time Big Q&A with Pastor Gary and Pastor David. We're discussing this afternoon, uh, isn't all religion essentially the same and is the ecumenical spirit the same as biblical unity? But before we get back to our study, and, and you should really see Gary, he's so passionate about this, gesticulating with his fingers and hands and as he talks, it's, it's powerful. But we want to offer you the free giveaway book. You need to text us 04888. 80811 04888811 and the code word SA135 that's SA135 for the book End Time People End Time People by Dr. Brian Ball Gary um you're talking to us about uh, the ecumenical movement and unity etc and biblical unity how do you handle Jesus's prayer for unity in John chapter 17 yeah, look, David, that, that is actually a really, a really good question because, um, in book after book and piece of literature after piece of literature, every time this subject is talked about, uh, that is actually the go-to text. You know, there's some actual go-to texts, I call them in scripture, uh, where if you actually want to, uh, take something and just give a general maxim, then that's the one you go to. You, you roll know, it out. you roll it out like, you know, you love your neighbors yourself. You know, it's one, it's a go-to text. Mm. Uh, and, uh, uh, but look, so many people don't understand what's actually being said here. Let me just read to you what uh, John 17 uh, is uh, actually says. I do not pray, Jesus is praying, I do not pray for these alone, but also for all those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. This is Christ, known as the high priestly prayer. Christ is praying for believers to be one just as he and his Father are one. That is a powerful, powerful prayer of Christ. But look, David, let's, let's consider who is David, who, who, who is Christ actually praying for on this occasion? Well, it starts by talking about, I do not pray for these, that's his disciples. He's just been praying for mm. his disciples. Uh, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may be one. In other words, he here we've actually got Christ is praying particularly not for the world, not for unbelievers, but for those who believe in Jesus Christ, uh, for those who have accepted Christ as uh, their Lord and God. Uh, if you like, uh, you, you can look at it in some modern versions. I pray that just as you are in me and I am in you, so they will be one in us, is what modern versions say. I have given them the glory you gave me, I in them, you in me, all being perfected into one. Now, to me, this is, David, it is incredibly beautiful. This unity is based on the intimate linkage of the individual believer to both the Father and the Son. 
Never is there any indication in this passage that those who are living outside of this personal relationship will either have the desire or indeed the need to be equipped to stand in a form of unity that is envisaged in this prayer. It's so important that we come back to this prayer. Have a look what this prayer does actually say. Do uh, you know, as, as Christ through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, dwells in believers. The desire to become like him will increase. The desire to function with the mind of Christ grows. The mind, born of humanity, is slowly being transformed into the divine similitude. Humanity is being transformed by the Spirit. Can the believer be one with Christ, one with the Father, one with other believers uh, who are also one with Christ? Most certainly they can, and that is what this passage is referring to. It's this unity that the individual believer is invited to, to come into. There's uh, no longer he's no longer an orphan, but but rather he's a he's a son and daughter of the of the invisible God. Uh, this individual's now fully part of the the chosen generation, a member of, as Peter says, the royal priesthood, included as part of a holy nation called to be the king's ambassador. Do you know? David, the thing that I'm just so, so conscious of is that this form of unity goes far beyond that which could be imagined by humanity. You know, in fact, I'd almost say that humanly speaking, such unity is actually not possible. It is Christ, however, who promised the Holy Spirit who would lead believers into all truth. What a beautiful promise that is. It's this promise that provides the foundation for biblical unity. This is far from the ever-increasing chasm of unity in theological diversity. Unity in theological diversity is unknown in the Word of God. That's not how it is presented. In an age when the Christian church increasingly emphasizes political causes at the expense of heart transformation, it's hardly surprising that the very foundations of biblical Christianity is under attack. Do you know, I I believe, David, that, that this emphasis actually robs the gospel of its power. The heart has not been changed. Unity is only possible when the heart of the individual has been changed. Otherwise, it's not the gospel. Otherwise, it's not the gospel. And without the change in the heart, it is not possible to come into unity with the Father, the Son, or with other believers. Yet today we've got a situation where the ecumenical movement isn't just driving a unity uh, between uh, Christian religions, but now it's moved right across into polytheistic religions. You know, we accept these people as being... There is no attempt to convert these... these in. Scripture is abundantly clear. Uh, what, uh, uh, what Scripture calls on the believer to do is to go preach, teach and baptise. That's the command we've all been given. That's the command. That's the command. Now, now look, does this fit into the culture of our day today? 
No, it probably doesn't. But, you know, my friends, uh, this is where I believe, David, uh, we need to have a thoroughly biblical worldview. Uh, I uh, personally, I do not believe that the ecumenical spirit is in any way, shape or form the same as biblical unity. It is simply uh, not occurring. Anyway, David, look, I'm I, I'm just really conscious that uh, uh, my um, uh, my my this understanding is something that uh, is something that increasingly uh, within churches of Christendom uh, individuals are uh, are challenging. Uh, this is certainly something that uh, was certainly understood uh, decades ago, but it's not the case today. David, I'm just wondering, would you mind if I prayed for those who who might might be struggling on this particular issue? Thank you, Gary. Father in heaven, Lord, I, I want to come to you right now. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the gift of your son. Lord, thank you uh, for uh, for giving us the, uh, the the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for calling us into unity with the Father and with the Son. Uh, Lord, thank you for uh, promising to lead us into all truth. Lord, I, I pray that you you would forgive us. Uh, where we have simply ignored your command to go, preach, teach, baptize. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody struggling on this particular matter today, that you might be with them right now. I pray that you, your Holy Spirit might be with them. Lord, I pray that you might lead them. May you lead them into oneness with the Father and with the Son. Lord, I pray that indeed daily we might grow to be more like Jesus. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Gary, for your passionate um, presentation. You know, it's a critical topic, Gary, because um, it's it's a counterfeit unity. It is. And uh, so I want to encourage our listeners to stay true to the Word of God, continue to follow what His Word says, and... Um, We've been given a mission, given a task to go tell the world, to to call people into a relationship with Jesus, to call them out of false religion and into that fellowship and relationship. And look, David, if anybody wants that giveaway book today, look, this this is a real beauty. It it does deal with a lot of these these subjects, end time people. This is by Brian Ball. Uh, the and this is oh four triple eight. 80811 and the code is uh, SA1355 digits in a row. Uh, I believe you'll greatly appreciate this particular book. 04888880811 SA135. Well, Gary, thank you for that. It looks like our time's up for today. Thanks for joining Pastor David and Pastor Gary on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please join Drive Time tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Pastor Hugh lead our discussion. We really look forward to you joining us then, but until then, please remember Christ said, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give isn't like the peace the world gives, so don't be troubled or afraid. May God richly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio. 